Lord Jesus Christ, you have the words of eternal life. Teach us, Lord, to go and do likewise. In your name we pray all these things. Amen. Amen. If I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, I'm Pastor Rick, the pastor here at Restoration. Um, Normally, I would invite you to come and and, uh, talk to me after the service, but we have a picnic after the service today right across the street. Uh, If that is news to you today, guess what? You're still invited. Please do come. You can grab some food at the grocery store or any of the other restaurants. Come and join us across the street because the weather's gorgeous today. It's just absolutely lovely out there, and it'd be fun to hang out um, and just enjoy the lovely day with you. So right now, we are in the season of ordinary time. Uh, This is a six-month season uh, that we're currently in. And this is when, this is a time in in which we look at the teachings of Jesus and how they intersect with the ordinary rhythms and routines of our lives. Now, if we define ordinary as something familiar to us, it's hard to think of anything more ordinary than the passage that we just read. Uh, This is an extremely well-known passage, the story of the Good Samaritan. I mean, my guess is that if you've been a Christian for a few decades, you've you've heard this passage, you've read this passage dozens uh, and dozens of times. But at the same time, it's it's hard to overstate just how much of an impact this story has had across the globe throughout time. In fact, the word Samaritan itself has sort of been redefined by this story over the course of history. The Samaritans, uh, you know, it used to be where the Samaritans were looked at as just those neighbors to the north who had everything, uh, who did everything wrong. Uh, As someone who grew up in Kansas, I kind of felt this way of people from Nebraska. I thought they didn't exist. Uh, When I did meet them, I thought that they did everything wrong. Uh, But so the, the Jews hated the Samaritans. They felt that everything they did was absolutely wrong. But then along comes Jesus. And Jesus causes everything to be re-evaluated. And he proposes that these people who were despised and hated might actually love God themselves. And as we see in today's parable, these people might actually obey God in some ways. And then Jesus even goes so far as to add this. These people might also be loved by God. So today, the word Samaritan is the name of Countless nonprofits. In fact, one of you uh, just this last week emailed me uh, telling me about uh, this, this uh, Christian health sharing ministry called Samaritan Ministries. Several of you participate in this. Uh, some of you, even at your secular businesses, they might have a charity branch that's known as the, the Samaritan branch. So today, uh, the word has completely transformed. Today, Samaritan is a compliment. It means that you yourself go out of your way to help others. Isn't that radical, that that simply by the teachings of Jesus, he would be able to change the way in which an entire people group is perceived by others? That's incredible to me. Well, the problem is that the more well-known, the more um, ordinary stories like these become, the more cliche they can become, uh, the more ignored they can become, and sometimes even forgotten to us. So my charge to you today is to look at this with new eyes. Try to not let yourself sort of dial out when you hear this story read over you. And maybe you want to ask yourself, where do I see myself in this story today? 
Maybe you even see yourself as, as the lawyer, the one who sort of started off uh, by asking a question of Jesus. Maybe you came here today with a question that you have for the Lord Jesus, something that's been sort of bugging you in the back of your mind and you just desperately want to find Jesus so you can go up to him and ask him this question. Or maybe in the story itself, you, you, you view yourself as the man in the ditch. Maybe you think you've been overcome by the tragedies of this world. Maybe there's a particular tragedy that has lured you down into the ditch of this world. Maybe you view yourself as the religious leaders. You, you have a purpose in this life. You feel like you know uh, uh, how to stay on the path. But maybe you've also grown cold to the needs of this world. Or maybe you view yourself as the Samaritan or as the innkeeper, ready to care for those who God places on your way. Where do you see yourself in this story? I invite you even this week to take the bulletin home with you and just read over this story several times and kind of imagine yourself in each of these roles and what might the Lord say to you as you do that. Well, the lawyer begins uh, by asking Jesus, who is my neighbor? Now, this is a completely fair question to ask. Uh, you know, the, the Jews believe that every single word of the law comes straight from the mouth of God. And so the Jews pay close attention to every single word, wanting to make sure that they're obeying it correctly. And notice the law doesn't say, love everyone. Okay, sweet, maybe. <laughs> it says, love your neighbor. So according to the rabbis, the ancient rabbis, neighbor could be defined uh, in, in a number of ways. A neighbor could be someone who just lives next to you. A neighbor could be a blood relative or a close friend. A neighbor could be another member of, of your clan, a member of your, your tribe. But also remember that in these days, Israel was a complex place. Yes, there were Samaritans out and about, uh, who, uh, people who have this offensive religion, but there were also Romans there who were oppressing them and squashing the people at every opportunity that they have. But then there were also tax collectors there, those people who they themselves were ethnic Jews, but they had betrayed their people. They had become sellouts, and they were collecting money on behalf of the Romans. Are these people our neighbors? It's a complex world these days, Jesus, so please clear things up for me. Who exactly is my neighbor? Well, then Jesus answers the question with a story. A man travels down the road. He's assaulted, he's robbed, he's beaten, he's left for dead. And then a priest and a Levite, religious leaders, ignore him. But then a third man comes, a Samaritan, and he decides to actually get off his mule and help. The Samaritan sees the half-dead man, and he has compassion on him. As I've been thinking about this passage, you know, one thing we could even focus in on is just the fact that he sees his neighbor I feel like as Americans these days, we often don't even see our neighbors, do we? So maybe one takeaway from this passage is simply get to know your neighbors, see them. You know, you can't have compassion on someone until you can see them. But then he gets off his mule and he attends to him with oil and wine. We'll return to that in a minute. And then he lifts up the man. He puts him upon his own mule, his own animal, and he brings him to an inn. And there he pays the innkeeper two days' worth of wages, promises to pick up the tab if, this, if his bill were to increase. And what Jesus does here in this passage is he is completely expanding the definition of neighbor. He's saying anyone around you who, who, who is in need is your neighbor, not just people who live close to you, not just people who are related to you, not just people who are part of your group or your tribe, 
And so here we see in this passage that the role of the Samaritan is exploding all of these definitions. Your neighbor is anyone in your life or anyone around you who is in need. So we could stop right there, right? Like we could stop right there in this lesson and we could say, so therefore, go and be nice to people in need. And that'd be sort of a lovely message today. Yeah, be nice. You know, we could all go to uh, maybe Target after the service and buy t-shirts that tell us to be nice to people, you know. Be kind, you know, is one that I see all the time. How original, right? I'm sorry, I didn't mean to say that. <laughs> um, I'm leaving for vacation this week, and before the service, someone was saying, oh, it looks like we've got vacation, Rick, today. So uh, I hope there's, there's no more slips of the mouth. <laughs> But we could stop the message right there, right? But I don't think that that is the fullness of what Jesus has for us today. I don't think the fullness of this passage is to simply be kind, be nice to people, hold the door open for them, tie their shoes when, they, when you see them untied. In fact, if that was the extent of what we could draw out of the message today, I would be doing you a disservice, and I think all of our souls would be in danger because of that. So Kevin Martin is an author, a, a Christian writer who I enjoy. Um, several of you, have, uh, I've asked uh, Vestry and staff members to read a book that he's written. Well, on a recent article on his blog, he, he reflects on the fact that the Christian church, at least here in America, other, other places in the world, it's growing rapidly, but here in America, it's shrinking rapidly. And he gives a few reasons for why he thinks that is. And one of them in particular caught my attention. He says, leaders in our church have made Christianity to be primarily about good works. He says that we think that the way to eternal life is just doing good things. Be kind, be nice, do good things, and we'll change the world one good work after another. And then he even quotes a leader in his own denomination who says this, get this, this is wild. He says, it is not necessary for people to believe that Jesus is the Son of God or even to worship him. We just need to follow his example. And we might hear that and, and sort of be uh, aghast that, that a Christian leader would, would speak like that, saying that you don't have to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. But I wonder, looking at the ways in which we live out our faith through the week, is that what we actually believe? You know, maybe we act in a way that reflects that, that we don't believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that he has ascended into heaven at seats and sits at the right hand of the Father, but instead we just think that being a Christian means that we do nice things for people. Kevin continues, he says, we have sold our heritage of faith in Jesus Christ for a bowl of good intentions and moralistic do-gooderism. <laughs> I think Jesus has a deeper truth for us in today's passage than merely be nice to people. Jesus deliberately tells this story of two groups who absolutely hate one another, Jews and Samaritans. He could have said it some other ways. Some other ways. A pro-life activist fell among thieves and a pro-choice activist came to her aid. A member of the KKK was left for dead in the ditch and a member of BLM came to her assistance. I'm sure you could think of other examples. My point is that no one at that time expected these groups to help one another. No one in the culture had that. No one thought, oh yeah, of course the Levite should get down and help this person. No one was thinking that. This is what is normal, this is what is ordinary, this is what is expected in our world. 
The, zero, the Samaritan has zero obligation to help. No one in the ancient world hearing that story hoped that the Samaritan would even touch the Jew. In fact, I bet if we were to sort of be teleported back at that time in which Jesus was first telling that story, and we're sort of in the crowd listening to Jesus teach this, I bet it would be very, very likely for us to overhear someone leaning over to his buddy and say, I would rather die than let some Samaritan touch me. The Samaritan defies all cultural expectations in this. He gets off of his animal. He helps the half-dead man. He gives of him his time. He gives of him his treasure, two days' worth. He gives of, him his, uh, he gives of his own talents to this man, his ability to minister to him, to share his oil, his wine with him. He risks losing his reputation. And what does the Samaritan get out of this? Nothing. This is a free gift of the Samaritan. It's a free gift of his time, his treasure, his talent. He gets nothing in return. This is a story about grace. Grace that the Samaritan is giving to the man in the ditch. We call this the good Samaritan, right? We could call this the gracious Samaritan because there's nothing, because there's nothing that he does to, to, there's nothing that the man in the ditch did to receive this love and there's nothing that the Samaritan is gaining by this relationship. The Samaritan has transcended all boundaries, all expectations. He's the Samaritan of grace. And then Jesus says, go and do likewise. Be like the Samaritan. Do not limit your compassion to those in your family or your own group. No, transcend those boundaries. Break cultural expectations. Serve those even when you have nothing to gain. Show others grace. So why then? Why should you do this? Why should you love others? Why should you do what is nearly, that is impossible for us to do on our own? Why should Jesus tell us to do that? Because this is what Christ does for us. You are that person who is in the ditch. Jesus, or this is a violent world. This is a terrible place. I don't know everyone's story in the room. I do know a lot of the stories in this room. And I know a lot of you feel like you have either been in the ditch before or you're in the ditch right now. By one reason or another, maybe, maybe it's, it's something that the world has done to you. Maybe it's an, an unfair um, diagnosis that you've received. Maybe it's because of just terrible choices that you've made. But you know what it feels like to be down in that ditch. You yourself have maybe made terrible decisions leading you there. The good news is that it doesn't matter how you got into the ditch, but Jesus Christ sees you, and he has compassion upon you. He loves you. Jesus is the good neighbor. He is the one who has descended down and come to us. He is the one who binds our wounds, and then he brings you into the inn, which is the church, a place where you can be nurtured and cured and cared for, a place where you can be washed in the waters of baptism, a place where you can be sealed by the mark of the Holy Spirit, sealed with holy oil, a place where Jesus himself feeds you with holy wine, which is elevating to your soul and gives you new life. Why do we love the others? Because Christ first loved us. One final thought. Uh, our, our reading from Colossians, Paul writes, he writes there from prison. And in verse 8, he, he's talking about the church in Colossae. He says, I've heard about you. I've heard about you. I'm so excited about what's going on there. I've heard about you. And he concludes in verse 8 by saying that Epaphras has told him about their love in the Spirit. Their spiritual love, their Holy Spirit-infused love that they're showing for one another. 
He doesn't say that he's heard them um, having amazing spiritual experiences. He doesn't say that he's so proud of them because they've, they've memorized the entire series of systematic uh, theology. No, he says that he's, he has heard that they have become a community of people who love one another across boundaries. Later in that same letter, I think it's chapter 3, verse 11, Paul says there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. You see, as the good news of Jesus Christ comes into our lives, we experience his transformative power and grace. And as that spreads across the world, these communities of grace emerge and we get to be a part of that. We get to partake in this great tradition of of spiritual love, love that defies all cultural expectation where we ourselves can be healed, where the dead can be brought back to life. So may this be a mark of our community here at Restoration in Minneapolis. May we be a community that defies cultural expectations, where we're able to love one another across whatever boundaries there are that might exist, where we have our eyes open to the broken who the Lord leads to our way, where we can invite people into this community, where they can be healed and experience the grace of God. Please pray with me. Lord Jesus Christ, you are the good neighbor. You are the one who defies all expectation. You descended into our world. You saw us. You have compassion upon us. So Lord Jesus, I pray that we might experience your love and your goodness afresh today. Lord, as we come forward to your table today, may we experience the the new life that you offer us. May you nourish our souls today. May we go and do likewise. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.